So uh, I want you to bring to memory uh, watching your favorite concert, maybe a, a, a concert or a show or um, an experience. Bring to mind just that amazing thing where it just blew your mind. Maybe it's a certain song that comes to mind. You've got the crowd roaring. Maybe it's a, a football game or a sports game, and you're just feeling all the atmosphere. You're singing along to the songs. Um, you're seeing the most amazing talent, the lights and everything. And in that moment, your hairs are standing on end. Do you ever get that moment where you just feel your hands on end? There's this unity in this space, and you're singing like no other. And suddenly in your heart, heart, you go like, I know I'm an introvert, or I'm nowhere near as talented, but I want to do that. Suddenly, it's like this, in this, this inspiration in your heart that suddenly tweaks and is like, man, I wish I could do that. Or maybe you know a friend who's like that. They go to a concert, they go to an experience, and suddenly, it becomes their passion. It suddenly awakens them to something brand new. And so what happens, and I've had this happen with some of my friends, in fact, probably even myself, I watched a, a person play guitar, something we have in uh, England called Top of the Pops. Um, that was a great show. It's like MTV style, Top 40, play through the week. And I watched this guitarist, and I was like, I want to be like that person. And so I grab a guitar, some guitar lessons, and uh, I decide to actually go enter into a, a music contest, um, only playing a couple of months along, which is never a good idea. I forget the Christian song. It was a really cheesy one, and I was going to play it, and I was about to step into the room, got all sorts of butterflies, and ran. And so they announced the name, Jonathan Taplin, Jonathan Taplin, Jonathan Taplin. No, not here. And so I had to apologize and all that good stuff. But you ever had that friend that puts on a concert? They're like, I'm going to learn this, and I'm going to go all in two weeks later. How does that go for them? Just not good. It's not good. But much of this is like following Jesus. Uh, we're inspired by him on a Sunday or we're inspired by a conference. We're in that worship gathering with thousands of people or hundreds of people. And we're suddenly like, I'm all out for Jesus. If all of you have grown up in the church, how many of you have gone to youth camps? And you've gone to those moments, you stand at the front of the altar call and you're with your friends holding, love you, Jesus. And you're just like, you know, tears down streaming. And you're just like, I'm going to give my life to you. And then a couple of weeks later, you're just back to the old grind and the old things suddenly kick back in again. Have you ever found that in your life? And so we're inspired by him. We're moved by Jesus. There's something compelling about Jesus. I'm going to forgive all the people that ever hurt me. I'm going to forgive everyone who cuts me off when I'm driving along. When that lane that I've, I'm queuing in is too slow, I'm just going to forgive everybody. I'm just going to love everybody. And it's a knee-jerk reaction. But for many of us know that the anger issues that you face didn't dole down overnight. The addiction issues that you face don't just switch off overnight. We don't live in stage moments in Christianity. We don't live in those stage hyped up moments. As Christians, we have intentions. We have to plans. We have to change who we are step by step by step. And so, so far in the series that we've been going, Kingdom Culture, we've been setting the stage moment. And so, the three things we've kind of looked at um, is the king. We've looked at what the gospel is. The good news is the time has come 
The kingdom of God is at hand. It is reigning now and not yet. It's declaring good news of reclaiming and redeeming His world. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And you have a people in Matthew 4. You see this progression. Matthew 4 declares who the king is. And then in, as it goes through, we, we, two weeks ago, we talked about how the followers of Jesus came into that space. They were co-laborers. Jesus said, come and follow me, living all in, repent and believe. Turn your thinking and put all your trust into me. That is the goal of the Christian walk, to turn my thinking every single day, every single moment from what I was in my old self appropriating that fancy word, taking hold of my new identity in Christ, repent and believe and trust and turn. And then we talked about last week, what is the reign? Because a kingdom is made up of a king, a people, because if you're a kingdom, you've got to have people following you or you're just a lonely, strange person, kind of thinking you have a kingdom without people. That's a little bizarre. But they have a reign. What is the reign of the kingdom? Well, we talked about it over and over again. Jesus said, I have compassion. I have compassion on people. And that compassion drives him to teaching, proclaiming, healing, spiritual warfare. All that good stuff reigns. And so we've really been setting this bar, this big stadium moment of like, yes, Johnny, I want to be like that. Or maybe for some of you it's like, yeah, it's okay. Because there's a disconnect between how on earth do we live it out. I've heard this story before, Johnny, but I don't know how to do it. I've tried the knee-jerk reactions, and I'm still stuck in my same habits, my same problems. How do I live this out? And so for the rest of the year, we're going to be answering that question of how. And really the journey of our lives is how do I walk this out faithfully step by step? We want to talk about what is it for the soil, the foundations that we need to reign. If Jesus invites us to follow him, to reign with him, what are the soils, what are the foundations for flourishment in our lives to come alive? I know that's the question that you have beating on your heart here today. Sometimes I just ask the questions maybe you're not thinking about. So if you have your Bibles, we're just going to hop around some couple of passages here today, starting in Matthew 9, and then we're going to uh, land in Matthew 10. It says this in Matthew chapter 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Isn't that a cool situation? Just chilling out with Jesus, lying back. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard, Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or compassion and not sacrifice. For I came to call the, the, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out the laborers into the harvest. Jesus' prayer and my prayer as a pastor and for all of you, we would be servants of the kingdom of God. Behold, his prayers are answered. And he calls 12 disciples and gives them authority over every unclean spirit to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 of the apostles are there. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphyrus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the Iscariot, who betrayed him. So in our worlds, we experience loneliness. Mother Teresa said this, that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Mother Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world that we experience. We, as we say over and over again, are more connected than ever. We are more connected. I have at the moment over a thousand friends, which I disbelieve. Um, For many people that view my Facebook pages and stuff, really Facebook for me is a great way to catch up with friends quickly online, which is a strange thing. So we, we have this feeling, though, of isolation, and it is rampant. I would say this is the real pandemic issue that we have is loneliness. More than ever, we've been highlighted that we're more interested in the likes or in the online community more than the face-to-face conversation that we so desperately need. As I said, I would rather just quickly go through my feed and see your photos, like them, cute picture of a baby, child, or that was a really cool experience. Wow, that is amazing artwork. I just like, 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 like. And you ever found that experience when you see the person, you have all this history of what they're doing, and the other person has no idea who you are. Like, I have huge equity in knowing who that person is without actually having a face-to-face interaction, and it feels weird. We are in this modern era. This has never happened in human history. And yet we are still seeing anxiety, depression rise more than ever. Gen Z, the next generation to come, is experiencing even more heightened suicides, depression, anxiety. I mean, I grew up as a teenager, and I'm glad that none of the pictures were shown of me as a kid, right? But now you've got the video, you've got all the things that you say. For some of us, we have like the 10-year history of what we said 10 years ago, and like, did I really say that? Like, that was only 10 years ago. Yet they grow up in this framework where everything is compared, and no real connection is made. We are lonely, but we are equally fearful of intimacy, We are lonely, but we're equally fearful of intimacy. And connection, can I tell you, is not the same as community. Connection is not the same as community. I love this definition um, from Cheryl Turkle, alone together. This is an amazing definition of community. It says this, community is constituted by the physical proximity. 
So I meet a lot of people who say, yeah, I've got friends. We Zoom call every single kind of week. They live in different parts of the states or different parts of the world, but we connect every single work. That's my community. And I would say that's not community because they don't see your marriage. They don't see you every day when you're not so happy. They don't get to see you because um, remember on Zoom, you can be business up top and you know, whatever down, down below. And, you know, you can just curate exactly what you need to see. You can put that wonderful background on behind that you're on the beach or something like that. You can make yourself look for an hour or more perfect. Yet community, when we are physically together, we get to share in all the ups and downs together. You get to see when the person is burnt out. We have shared concerns. We have real consequences. When you are in community and that community is broken, it hurts. For everyone in the room knows this to be true, that when your friend didn't invite you to that party, you're not coming to my party. Um, when you have that, that person who lies behind your back or does a disservice to you, it hurts because you care, because there are real consequences when you are in community. And often that's probably the fearful thing that we face. There's common responsibilities. When we're in community, when you're in family, you do the washing up together. You work together in seeing things come about. It's a beautiful demonstration. But the problem is, is that we as Christians, this this idea of connection rather than community links into our spirituality. So a survey was done um, in people's spiritual walks, and they were asked, how do you want to follow Jesus? How do you want to follow Jesus? And you had a list of questions. Do you like to follow him just in the church context? Maybe in a small group? Maybe a, a Bible plan on your Bible app? Uh, maybe you just want to do it alone. And do you know what the number one way that people want to follow Jesus? 38% of people, by far the largest group, said, we follow Jesus alone. I just want to follow Jesus alone. Me in the Bible app, me in a podcast, me just reading my Bible by myself, I want to follow Jesus that way. And Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't just call Peter into relationship. No, he called 12 riffraffs of people. And we've talked about this before. He had the two end scales of the pendulum. He had a tax collector who was for Rome, and he had a zealot who was a terrorist against Rome in a 12-group people. Can you imagine the, the Monday morning coffee? as they sit back and sip on their history. Hello, traitor. You can imagine those words echoing through, hello, killer. Like there's, you could imagine that you think that for three years these people actually got along. You think that when Jesus said, come follow me, all their uh, disunity suddenly mended magically and they understood one another. They were trying to see who was best every single time, right? That is the culture of this group and we are no different. And so, what is it for Jesus to mean to be in community? Jesus says community is non-optional if following Jesus. Community, so proximity, if uh, shared concerns, real consequences, common responsibility is non-optional if you are a follower of Jesus. Let that sit in just for a moment. 
following Jesus, he said, come, follow me. Not a list of rules, not saying, hey, follow this rule book by yourself and you'll be a follower of Jesus. No, he said, simply come and follow me. And community, as we said, is offensive. The religious leaders saying, Jesus, why are you hanging out with those sinners and, and tax collectors? Like, why are you hanging out with those riffraff? So this community is not only following Jesus with people that you like, the people that agree with you politically, that agree with you on, on all your spectrums. It is people that you don't like. It's people that you don't necessarily agree with because you have a shared concern of Jesus being Lord of your life. Secondly, community is non-optional if you desire a life of transformation and fulfillment of call. It's through community that we're actually transformed. I would argue the two great um, containers of transformation is being with Jesus, being with him, reading, praying, and community. That's where the rough edges happened. We learn about Peter's temper because of community. We learn about Peter putting his foot in his mouth over and over again because of community. We learn about Thomas and his doubting because of community. We learn about the sons of thunder who somehow believe that you can call down fire from heaven and burn up a city, which is great faith. But Jesus does rebuke them and say, that's not the way of the kingdom. We learned about an anger issue with these brothers because they were in community. We believe three principles of how we do discipleship with Jesus. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That is our framework for connect groups, for discipleship, that ultimately everything that we do comes around being with Jesus. If you're just reading your Bible to make you a better person, it's going to feel real old and crappy. But let's be honest. We've all been there. But when we want it to bring about being with Jesus, when I want to bring about being with him, it changes everything. So being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. So Jesus has said, look, following Jesus, following me, you have to be in community, and the only way you change is through being with me and being in community. So why do we find it so hard to be in community? I've got three eyes for you because that's what I love to do. The roadblocks of I is what I've titled this. So if you're making notes, which Jesus loves you more if you do make notes, just so you know. Um, first one off the docket, the roadblocks for community, individualism. We live more for ourselves than ever. Everything that we do, every swipe that I make, even Amazon curates the things that I should buy. Facebook listens to my conversation and up on the side, the things that I really desire. Um, I start shouting out things. Uh, we were around uh, Joe and Leah's last night and they have a, a Google uh, set up in their house. And I wanted to start buying things for them. Just start shouting out some things and start setting people's algorithms. If you want to change people's algorithms, just start talking about things <laughs> around them and see what turns up. But everything we do is created around me. Me, myself, and I. Um, it's my truth that's more true than your truth. Um, it's my desires over your desires. And community requires commitment. If you want to flourish in life, uh, the three cylinders they say that you need to flourish is freedom, purpose, and community. If you have those three 
uh, cylinders, uh, you live a filled life. But we all know that you can't have all of them maxed out. We live in America, and freedom is a priority. But you need to sacrifice some freedom to experience community properly. I can't have it my way all the time, even though I wish I could. I suddenly realized that my commitment was not as strong when I got married. Suddenly, I couldn't do all the things I wanted to. And certainly, as ki- with kids, I really can't do all the things I want to do, though I try. And so with that, we have the rub that comes in, the commitment that I have to deny who I am, and I have to say yes to someone else. We have the fear of FOMO, fear of missing out. That when I make a commitment to something, you are going to be missing out on something else. And we have to make that decision that this commitment to a person is more valuable than what I want in life. And so I find it funny that people kind of leave like, I'm not going to commit myself because I just don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Really, I'm saying, and I get there are family matters and things that are happening, but if we're honest in our hearts, we leave it kind of open-ended because what if something does turn up? What if I don't really want to commit to this kind of thing? We all kind of nod our heads and say, yeah, I do that. Like, yeah, might have something else on. Don't know what it is, but I might have this thing in my calendar. We have this kind of like, yeah, let me check my calendar kind of thing. We're all guilty of that. And Jesus says, you must come under my authority, under my teachings. You must commit to my way, and your individualism must die. That's a hard reality for us to all hit, right? Because I love me. I'm me, I'm a fan of me, love what I get to do. And when I have to deny myself for that, I don't like that Jesus. In fact, let's let's change this Jesus. Let's kind of curate this Jesus. Let's put Jesus in my back pocket because I don't want that Jesus. Second roadblock we have, idealism. Great idealism. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. The person who loves their dream, their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. We all have dreams of community, amen? Um, I just, this quote for the win, if you remember nothing else, I love this quote. Almost everyone finds their early days in community ideal. You come into this space, and you're like, this point view church seems all right. They don't seem too wacky or weird. I quite like these people. It all seems perfect or close to. Uh, they feel they are surrounded by saints and heroes, or at least most exceptional people who are everything they want to be themselves. And then comes the letdown. Suddenly, you're just like, I don't really like this guy, Johnny, anymore. His accent was cool in the beginning, but now I'm just like, I don't know about this space. These people, the worship goes on too long. These people don't say hello to me enough. Um, I just, I don't know. They don't agree with everything I want to do and say. I think I'm just going to, you know, the church down the road feels pretty good. Um, And then comes the letdown. The greater the individualization of the idealization, sorry, idealization of community at the start, the greater the disenchantment. So you're just like, this place is amazing, this is perfect. The heavier the fall. If people manage to get through the second period, they come to a third phase, that of realization and of true commitment. They see this, they are no longer see themselves as members of a community, 
as saints or devils, because we are not saints, by the way. If you're here and you're new, you're going to find very quickly, me as a pastor, I want to dismantle any pedestal you ever put me on, because I am human, I am normal like every single person. I don't have a robe, I don't have a separation between you and me. I just love Jesus, and I've been called to lead people and point others to Jesus. And my hope and desire for our community is that I encourage you to do exactly the same, to be people that point people to Jesus. So the community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on earth. They are ready to walk in it and with it. They're ready to walk in it and with it. They accept the community and the other members as they are. Oh, are you going to accept everyone as they are right now and not try and change them? Marriage teaches you that stuff, right? Like, I think I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm guilty of that over and over again. Maybe we'll just change them. Accept the community as they are. They are confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. Amen? That's, That's a fantastic summary right there. And so for the third I that we have, um, intimidation. One thing, just to hark one more idealization I just remembered. Uh, Marriage dies when wildly impossible ideas are not able to be fulfilled. We come into marriage and we have this expectation that this hunky hero or beautiful lady will be everything for us, that they will complete us, which is just bad theology. I could preach a sermon on that. You are to be complete in yourselves with God at the center, and then, you know, you, you jive together. You don't complete one another. That's bad theology. But you are in God, perfect together, and you journey, co-labor together to make something beautiful. And so community as well, we have this waiting for the perfect community. Like It's like the unicorn. We expect this perfect environment of people with this perfect, 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 and then I'll join and commit to that. Rather than saying, Jesus, who do you, where do you call me to? I'm going to journey through this group through until you call me somewhere else. I'm just going to keep on journeying and journeying with these people. And we are stronger for it. And so the third one here, intimidation. And this is really the root of the roadblocks because all of us have fear. Whether you're extroverted or introverted, you have fear of other people because of your history, because of what people have said and done. We all have boundaries. And we don't like to share who we are. Like, we don't want people to see who we are. And so intimidation is somewhat of the root for the other two. Because if I don't share who I am, I can just live my perfect journey. I have an ideal world. I have an individual world. And so we need to break down these roadblocks of um, individualization, of idealization, and intimidation. Like, this we do believe as a community, as best as possible, that we can break down intimidation in this space. That wherever you are on your spiritual walk, it doesn't matter. We invite you here with questions, with not knowing enough, feeling like you can't understand any of this Bible stuff. Regardless of how many years you've been following, there is no shame, there is no condemnation, there is no performance to getting closer to God. Jesus loves you as much as he ever will do. And so I want to break any intimidation that you feel in this place. Like you feel like you're disqualified, not good enough, or you have to wear a mask coming into this place. Bring your shame. Bring the things of your past into this space because we want to know everything about you. And so 
the perfect, I believe, community that we want to see and what Jesus would agree, vulnerability and accountability. Now, just a side note, Jesus sets up his kingdom with his people and he tells to reign. And what does reigning look like? Community. Like that is the soil that revival happens by. So many times we want to make sure the service is perfect, have the perfect message, and I'm guilty of this. All of these things perfect, then God will come and reign. I've had pastors uh, speak to me about this kind of stuff. Well, I don't have the music band, or I don't have the cool look, or I don't have this and this. I said, if you just have community, it doesn't matter what you look like. Community brings everything together. You cannot break a church who loves one another and doesn't care about all the lights and the cool things that happen, that they care about one another and being here. That is the community that will be resilient through the years and decades to come. If we want this church to be a church of generations, love one another well. Like, we've got a shift that's happening. There's a younger generation, millennials, that are coming more into prominence. And the choice for the older generation is, will I still love them or will I walk away? For the younger generation, will you invite the older generation into your world to be someone that helps nurture you, to bring and encourage you? Because we don't have the wisdom. We might have the energy, but we do not have the wisdom. And so for us, we need to have, if we want to have revival, the first very foundation that we need, and Jesus does, is community. If you notice in Matthew, and I'll just quickly show this here, uh, Matthew chapter 10, Every time there is a name, the 12 apostles, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew. Jesus is literally sending these people out two by two. He was not sending them out individually. He was sending them out in community to transform a community. And so we need, just to hark on it just a bit more, community. Because we know that real community, we get to be our real selves. We're laid bare. People see our best and worst in us. You know when you're really friends that when you can sit in a room in silence, you don't have to speak, that you can just be with that friend. And for many of us, we yearn inside of us just to come in sweatpants around a house. I love that when Rachel invites people over, there's a text between the girls, what are you wearing? I'm coming in sweatpants. And that's when you know you've got real friends. When you can rock up, ladies, with your headband, glasses, whatever going on, you know your true friends. And when you come over to our house, I think there's a level of friendship depending on how tidy our house is. Like, you know, you get that? Like, if you're like spotless clean, we're not quite truly there yet, but eventually we will. When you see chaos around the house, you are truly a friend of ours. Um, that we get to be that kind of real vulnerable person. It's the joy of marriage, which is funny. You get to see more of the crap of the other person who you're married to. That's the reward. You have a healthy relationship when you know all the bad stuff about the other person. Thank you, Jesus, for knowing that, right? Isn't it great? It's like my reward. I know more of your worst. But the reward is so beautiful because then we get to be and bring into that space, knowing regardless of how much stuff that we carry, that we will be loved, that we will find home in just being. And actually, that kind of love transforms us, right? Because if I have to learn to forgive, if I have to learn to deny myself, I, as the person who's loving that, grow in love. But also, how much more amazing is it that I get to be that person 
full vulnerability. I feel loved. I feel understood. And it is just the most beautiful place that we can be in. But you need to have accountability as well. Because it's great having that friend that you just get to kind of moan at all the time and just, you know, be yourself. You know, I'm just being myself. Um, If there isn't accountability, it goes wrong. And I would argue that sometimes we're happy with the vulnerability. We're happy with the friend that we can, you know, what you do when you speak with your friend. You go off on one. you, You know, all the words come out. But we don't have accountability. We have no friend that actually calls us higher to who we're called to be. Right? You want that friend that brings who you are into that space but then says, but I know who you're called in Christ. I agree, that is horrible, that's hard, I get that. But actually, I think you can do this. And I think the two, but accountability without vulnerability is just selective, um, selective like sharing with that person. Like, I know how to be vulnerable enough to look good but never really go beneath the surface. And we've not, we've got to get away from being selective of our vulnerability and actually say, I want to turn up with all of who I am. Love drives the compassion which commissions us. Jesus had compassion, and out of that love, he commissioned everyone here today. And so for us here today, what is the next steps for us today? Now, Johnny. Are you going to tell me that I have to suddenly tell all my darkest, deepest secrets to one another? Are we going to be that kind of space? What is happening with this vision of this church? Um, We're all in different places, right? There are some of you absolutely rocking at this. You've got friends. You've got history. You've got those close connections that you can share who you are, and you've got those friends that will call you up into higher places. Some of you, the pandemic has shifted your intimacy. They're actually the friends that you once had have been broken away and you suddenly realized how lonely you've become or you've become unintentional about actually being friends with people. You just got comfortable in your own little space, your own little views, and you've become your own echo chamber and you've not got back into community to really sharpen who God has called you to be. And so I'd encourage you today, step back into that space. Step into a connect group. We have connect groups that you can sign up at the back They're not perfect, but they're doing life together. They're not connect groups or small groups based around teachings. They're based around community. We believe in this church. We gather around a stage on a Sunday, which is great. We get to celebrate together. We get to love and encourage, but we also gather around a table. We gather around a stage. We gather around a table, and that's where the real magic starts to happen. That's where you start to get frustrated and angry at that person. That's where you start to see just some little disgruntled things happening. You get to see them at their worst in their sweatpants, and it's great. And so we want to journey together, not around ideas, but around relationship. That is the basis of connect groups. So if you're not in a connect group, even if you're new, to belong in this space, I would so encourage you. We we have the best connect group. That's my group. Uh, Joe and Leah have one. Anna and uh, Donna have a group as well. And so, and Paul and Kim also have a group. And so, if you want to sign up, you can sign up at the back or speak to one of the leaders. I encourage you. But for some of you, and I, I want to be aware of this as well, even sharing who you are is absolutely terrifying because of the brokenness, because of uh, just the damage and the, just the depravity of humanity has really been shown in your world, and you've just given up on all things community. You're happy with your life, and you're just going to see life out as it is till the end. And I just want to encourage you today 
that actually we're missing out on the gift that you are. God has called you to this place and to this body of Christ, and you have a gifting which will empower other people. You mean and you matter here. I'm interested that when the room is a certain way, there are people in this room which the atmosphere completely changes. When we have people in the room, when we're only a few, it's not. It's nothing about the preacher. It's nothing about how amazing the worship is. Actually, the room carries everything. And so how do you show up into this space? Do you come with just like, God, I'm just here on a Sunday morning. Just help me out through the week. Can I just sit down just for a moment and just try and hear from you, Jesus? Or are you coming with, with your problems, with your stuff, and saying, God, even though I'm broken, even though I feel worn out, who can I encourage today? Who can I share a word with? Holy Spirit, how can you encourage me to be an encouragement to another person? And so my prayer for all of us is, Holy Spirit, would you ignite in us? Whether you're broken, crushing it, or in between, that you would say, Holy Spirit, if this is how formation happens, if this is how revival and a shift in our community happens, I'm going to take a step today. And so the step that we want to take is not actually a relationship with another person. The step that we actually want to take is welcoming God. For many of us, uh, we don't actually welcome God into our worlds. We don't actually say, God, I need more of you. I need to be vulnerable with you. And if we can't get it right this way, you are no way going to be able to get it right this way. One of the coolest things, um, so I, I'm into a bit of practices, and there's a, and I, I didn't grow up, I grew up charismatic, so a lot of the practices are, of maybe the higher church, I've missed out on. But there's a thing called welcoming prayer. Welcoming prayer, which some of you, you've heard that phrase before, and you're like, yeah, I get it, Johnny. Um, it is, and I'll just give you a quick breakdown of it, um, feel and sink into. Already I've lost like 90% of the room. Wait, you want me to feel? You want me to sink into what I'm feeling? Tap out. Don't want to even go what's beneath this mess. Um, I'd encourage you that there's a loving God who says, I've got you. I'm a rock. And I'm bigger than all the anxieties, depressions, and your past that you ever feel. And so a welcoming prayer we feel and we sink into. We actually welcome the pains and the problems. Because when, when Peter says, cast your burdens onto him for he cares for you, you can only cast something when you actually pick it up and hold it. For many of you, you just keep suppressing, 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 and you can never be vulnerable with God because you're just trying to say a quick prayer or you try and confess Scripture over that situation when Jesus is like, I want to change you. Um, I've got this great uh, contemplation little book that I do. Um, it's a great little guide, but I love this, this poem. And they refer to the human, us, as a guest house. And it says this, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, and you can definitely amen to this, is a new arrival on a Monday morning. There's joy, depression, meanness, and some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they crowd, even a crowd of sorrows, who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably, which is powerful. He may be cleaning you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. How cool would that be, <laughs> right? Like, I know some of your stories in this room. And to laugh at some of those pains, that's, that's tough. 
Be grateful for whoever comes in because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. That would mess with your theology. God is sending some of this stuff into my life? Yeah. Because he wants to deal with it. He wants to welcome your guest house. And he's saying if you welcome them, not with fear and trembling, but you actually welcome them into your heart, that actually God can do something beautiful inside of you. And as you understand more and more how much the gift of grace is in your life, you will be able to share grace with other people. When you understand how much God has done for you, how much love he has for you, you will be able to reciprocate that for other people. Just another challenge for you, even just to think about, do you create space to actually receive people's shame? Do you create space to receive people's baggage? Because that takes capacity, that takes margin, that means that you can't live a full life. You actually need to deny yourself and actually create space to hear people's shame. Because we're so terrified of sharing our own shame. But some of the first steps need to be that I create space for other people's shame. Other people's brokenness. And as I understand and receive those and create a safe space that we can actually endure people's pain and suffering, we will then be able to reciprocate as well. Can we imagine a community where we do that? Could we imagine a community where you are truly known? Because for some of you, you just turn up on a Sunday, and that's okay. But I encourage you, if you want to experience Jesus, life and life to the full, it's in community. It's not just knowing Scripture for yourself. It's not just living in your world. That actually God is inviting this community, this church. This church we desire. It's not numbers-based that we desire. We want to grow healthy Christians. We're an equipping church. We will disciple you. We desire to create frameworks. Reset that Joe does is a great thing that's happening after this service, right? Just a little plug there. For those who are signed up, get into reset. Ask those questions in community. It's being vulnerable before people, right? And you're actually creating some accountability, saying these are the things that I actually maybe want to do, which is dangerous because we don't really want to be accountable to people. Uh, If I say this, I actually might have to follow through with it, and that's scary. Don't judge. We are all like that. And actually, the joy would be if we love one another enough to see that. And so we're about to uh, just go into a time of communion, which Kerry's going to come up in a sec. But I just want to frame this for you. Um, We are uh, a community, and communion is community. It is actually the partaking of understanding and remembering who God is in our lives. It's understanding that actually the picture of communion is vulnerability and accountability. It's being vulnerable. It's saying, I'm going to eat. I'm coming confessing sin today. I'm confessing that God, um, I need to repent today. Remember, we're winning back repentance. I need to turn from my old thinking today, and I need to pick up a new mantle today. I need to be vulnerable before God today. And so we're going to create some space for you to be vulnerable before God and say, God, I repent. I need your forgiveness. But actually the picture of uh, the the bread and the wine, the cup and the cracker, um, is accountability. That as you consume the bread and the wine, as you consume these elements, that actually you're saying, I am being accountable to you, God. As I receive communion today, 
I am aligning myself accountable that the, the very living Christ, I love the Catholics for that, that they really do take hold of communion as this picture of embodying Christ. And it's that beautiful accountability that we so need. And so just with every head bowed, I just want to pray just before we go into a time of communion. God, I, I pray that you would sow this seed of community, not as something that's scary, but an invitation into something beautiful. That God, you have beauty. I believe this amazing, powerful men and women in this room that have not discovered who they truly are because they have not stepped into community. That we have not grown who we are called to be because we have not been in community. There's a reality that you, as a person denying yourself to a community, causes the community not to grow. And so, God, we want to repent where we have said, I don't want to get involved. I don't think I'm good enough. Thinking that it's about us. Thinking that we are the solution. When God it's saying, we are the solution. When I commission you to go out, I commission you to be in community because I have a gift in you for that community. And so, God, we repent where we have sold ourselves and you short. And we've said, I know better. I want to be individual. I don't want to be intimidated. I'm not going to show up. And so, God, we repent of where we've denied your power in community. And, Lord, we want to come to the communion table today and say, God, we repent. But, Lord, we want to consume you in community today.